Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. And guys, preseason camp, I guess, is officially closed. Preparation for Cal will start later this week. But Greg, the coaching staff's probably been looking ahead to Cal already. Just talk a little bit about that before we get in sort of the ins and outs of this quarterback battle, some O-line talk, and go from there. Yeah, definitely, Tommy. You know, the, the coaching staff, I'm sure, dating back to the, the offseason, have already got a pretty good look at what Cal brings back. Of course, the, the challenge is that you've got a brand-new coaching staff there with Sonny Dykes getting fired, uh, Justin Wilcox, who a lot of people first know his name from his Boise State days. He's a heck of a defensive coach. Then he brought in the, I guess it was Eastern Washington, the FCS team, their coach as offensive coordinator. And so it should be an explosive offense eventually and a very good defense eventually if things go Wilcox's way. But at this point in time, North Carolina can really only look at bodies and what, what Wilcox has done as prior stops defensively. So it's a little bit of a challenge. But I think more than anything, and kind of talking with the coaches, the fact that this is really the only game week. You can do it a little bit during your bye week. But that's more of a rest period, especially with UNC's being so late in the year this year. But this is an opportunity to really have an extended game prep week. And so the coaches will really dive into game planning uh, on Tuesday with the players having the day off for the first day of classes. And then the team really starts kind of to get into game prep. And it is really beneficial, especially with an offense that is inexperienced to an extent, uh, to really kind of get an understanding of what it's going to take. You get the scout teams broken up, um, so players kind of understand where they're on the depth chart. And more than anything, really, in training camp, you have your full install. So you have the whole offense that you're working on. But once you get into game week, all that's pared down dramatically. So instead of you working on countless plays and all these kind of things the coaching staff has a pretty good idea of what you can do well and what your team can do well and what your your first string your second string your third string can do well and so the staff can really pare things down and that's what's such a good learning opportunity in really the next 10 to 12 days because once you get to game week the true game week next week you really only have three days of practice and then you have your walkthrough on Friday. So by starting a few days earlier this week, you can kind of let the young guys understand what's going to take place. They can get to that mindset of focusing on just one opponent. And as we've talked about, it's really going to give you some time to really see, all right, who's the running back that's going to be healthy and it's going to be able to go for us? Who are the wide receivers that have earned playing time? And most importantly, of course, which quarterback is going to be the guy and how can we design plays that really focus on his talent stuff. Yeah, we've talked about you know, picking a starter, and I know Fedora said sort of in jest he could run all four out at some point. Um, but definitely I think two will play against Cal and Ross. I know we've talked about it ad nauseum, but at some point they've got to move forward with this game plan and pare down the reps. Coach Heck talked about the challenge of getting four guys reps. Fedora's talked about it. How do you see that playing out here after the day off? And then when they get into Cal Prep, how do you see it sort of narrowing down, for lack of a better term? And it's not just quarterback. It's the running back position. It's 
it's nearly every position except maybe the offensive line. Yeah, it's quite the challenge with so many open spots still at those key skill positions. And I think what we've been kind of going off of it is that it's down to two quarterbacks. Chaz Surratt, the redshirt freshman, and Brandon Harris, the grad transfer quarterbacks. You would think that those guys are getting a little more reps heading into this game week. And then, I mean, I think both are going to play. And I think they're going to use kind of what I think I would do is, is use the Cal game as just kind of an extended practice, an extended tryout for that starting role and see who handles it the best under the under the lights or under the noon noonday sun there. It'll be interesting to see what they go with. You got, you know, I think Greg can expand on this more. You got two guys who can definitely run the ball. And I think that's gonna be crucial in this offense with questions at running back. And, you know, not maybe not the best offensive line UNC has had in the recent years. So, you know, we know Chaz can run. He hasn't done it in the game, obviously, but he's an athletic guy. He's a dynamic player. And I was told coming out of spring that he has the most upside. You know, he brings that dynamic factor, that it factor, that playmaking ability to, you know, maybe get that third down that a that a Nathan Elliott couldn't get with his feet. So I think there's 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 some substance to starting, you know, at least giving Chaz a, a chance early and see what he can do. And and also obviously giving Harris a chance to see what he can do and see if, you know, his he can continue to learn the offense with maybe an extra week or two in some pressure situations. Greg, obviously the running backs are going to be important. And Ross talked about running quarterbacks. And I think y'all are right. We talked a little off the air, but they're going to need to run the ball from the quarterback position. But with the offensive line issues, a running quarterback uh, versus a scrambling quarterback. What do you expect to see? And who of these two guys you think maybe does that better? I would think Harris's experience may help that. But then Chaz Surratt's got the it factor. And maybe that's why he's moved ahead of Nathan Elliott, if he in fact has. Just the totality. I worked in the Eclipse reference. You had to like that. <laughs> the, the totality of circumstances, I believe, is giving Chaz Surratt certainly his opportunity, Greg. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Tommy. And I think with Chaz, it's a situation where We've known the potential for him has been pretty high. But we also know that in spring ball, it was, okay, he's not quite ready. Uh, maybe get a grad transfer in here, let him play a year. And then when you look ahead to 2018, Surratt's likely the leader in the clubhouse entering that season, provided he stays on task and, and stays on plan. And I think when you, when you factor in that Brandon Harris has been slower to adapt to the offense, than everybody thought. And I think the fact that you know, Surratt has made some strides, uh, that's played a pretty big role into it. And you, know, how much of it is Harris has struggled mightily and Surratt's has you know, been opportunistic, or how much of it is Harris has been okay, but Surratt's really made a charge? Uh, you know, We really don't know that. We're going to have to wait and see exactly how the season plays out. But the other aspect, as you kind of mentioned, is Coming into camp, and we talked about this last last podcast, is for North Carolina's offense to be good early, you had to have somebody at quarterback stand out initially, right? You had to have your offensive line gel quickly, not have any injuries. You had to have some running backs get countless reps uh, without injuries. And really, none of that's happened. <laughs> and so so what you what you find yourself in a situation is, I kind of liken it back to you know, 2014 
And you know, Marquise Williams did so many good things that year for this team. He had three times as many carries as Elijah Hood. He had three times as many carries as Romar Morris. And you, he had the most on the team by, I think, 75 over T.J. Logan. And so not only was he tasked with doing the passing part of the quarterback position, North Carolina started running a lot of plays for him. And so until things get settled down, you've got to have a guy like Harris or Surratt who both can scramble, to your point, Tommy, but both can run the read option incredibly well. Both can run the QB draw incredibly well because they're, they're quick, they're, they're fast, they have a burst. You know, I watched today during one of the little drills they had, Harris does some spin move around a linebacker, and you just see it, and he just does it you know, just kind of in a, a random situation. You know, nobody's really paying attention. You're like, wow, you know, that's, a, that's a pretty slick move. Um, and you don't see any of these other guys doing that. You know, we knew Mitch could run, but Mitch never did that kind of stuff. And so Surratt and, and Harris can both do those kind of things. I think Surratt's probably a better athlete than Harris, although we may be picking nits there because both guys are, are incredible athletes. And I think that's going to be an important part of what Larry Fedora can do. And we've, we've heard a lot this offseason that they're coming in knowing they're going to have to run the ball. You, know, you don't have a, the number two draft pick sitting back in the pocket that can make some incredible throws. You're going to have to kind of move back toward how things were, hopefully how they were in 2015, where Marquise didn't have to run so much and you could just hand it off and have success. But even going back to 14, if that's where you have to start, then okay, we may have to lean on the quarterback position as an extra running back, at least early, then you can do that. And I think Surratt and Harris set things up to be able to do that. The fact that Surratt has been at North Carolina for a full year longer than Harris means that the offense comes that much easier to him. And so to your point, a lot of things playing into Surratt's favor at this point in time. I still think it's a situation, though, where you don't want to push Surratt. You want to give Harris plenty of time, try to work him in, let him start. And if you get a couple of games into the season and it's still not clicking, it's still not working for him, at that point, you can go ahead and switch over to Surratt and you're really not losing anything. One thing, I mean, if, if you don't start, if UNC doesn't start, Harris, I mean, will they ever get another grad transfer quarterback? I mean, you got I think you have to give him a chance to kind of see if he can win the job, which I think they were doing. Give him a chance to start, at least prove that he can potentially win the job. Because if this guy comes here and doesn't, comes, you know, drops everything, comes to UNC to, to be the starting quarterback and doesn't even play, that's kind of a bad look for future, you know, grad transfers. That's a certain aspect to add. Uh, with Nathan Elliott kind of adding on to what Greg said, yeah, he's more of a drop back, you know, quarterback that can make the throws in the pocket with questions offensive line and not much running game you've got to have that guy have that running support that's probably one of the reasons why fedora has moved to uh harris and Surratt. And another thing it's hard to tell from the media perspective how good these guys are we're saying chas Surratt has as it factor i've never seen him playing a game other than the spring game in in, in uh, college and we're saying all these good things about Chaz and what Harris can do and we haven't seen these guys but 30 minutes you know maybe four or five times this preseason camp they don't show much so we'll see a lot more against Cal what they really can do because we're basing this off of you know word of mouth what the coaches say and then 30 minutes of drill work twice a week so I mean I think it's still kind of hard to put a finger on which guy is is winning or which guy's gonna win the job 
That's a great point there. That is the definition of hype and potential yeah. is is right there. But, Greg, let me ask you this as far as the running back and maybe the wide receiver positions. I mean, is the depth chart that you see that they they run out there during the media portions, do you, do you feel like that's accurate maybe of what we can expect to see September 2nd at this point? You know, I know we're 11, 10, 11, 12 days out. But, I mean, do you think that aside from injuries, what you've got listed is is maybe how it's going to play out? Or do you think there's still a lot of leeway once we get into cow prep? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely shaping up the kind of the way things have been. Because, I mean, we know Austin Pro is going to start, right? Daz Newsom has been the with the ones at ABAC all camp long. And so I think those are two pretty safe bets. You know Carl Tucker and Brandon Fritz are going to take split reps at tight end. They're going to use them in different ways. So now you're only really talking about one starting position. And Devin Perry is a guy that um, apparently has played really well of late. You know, he's been atop the, the depth chart during the media portion the last couple times. Uh, he got a lot of hype out, coming out of the scrimmage on Saturday. So, yeah, I think that's fair. I think the other point, too, though, is Gunnar Brewer has been, has been open over the years of saying, He's going to rotate as many guys as he possibly can. And if guys are good enough to play, he'll rotate them and let them play. The problem is, in recent years, you've had Ryan Switzer, Mac Hollins, and Buck Howard, three guys who stood out above the rest. And so while you, you had guys like Pro and Thomas Jackson and some others who were able to step in and get some playing time, you knew who the three key guys were. And other than really Pro, I don't know that there's other key guys that have locked down positions. So I think you're going to see a lot of Jordan Cunningham. You're going to see a lot of Anthony Ratliff-Williams. So I don't think there's that great of a separation. That could be good. That could that could be bad. That could mean there's really nobody that stepped up. We'll just have to see. But yeah, I think the same kind of holds true at running back. I mean, it's been pretty consistent that Jordan Brown and Michael Carter have gotten the bulk of the reps. You know, Sam Truett's been out for, it seems like, weeks now not even practicing. And so, you know, the third guy there is Jonathan Sutton, who's a, who was a linebacker last year. So I think, I think the depth chart pretty much is what it is. You know, maybe if some of these guys get healthy, maybe if Bentley Spain, of course, if, if he comes back in time for the first game, he's locked in there at left tackle. You know, I think even if Tommy Hatton comes back at this point, he's not going to be with the ones. He'll, he'll be a, in a backup role. Uh, with Nick Polina really locking down that position, so yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's fair to say that the the depth chart that we've listed as of this week is, is pretty accurate. Ross, uh, at this point, we're what eleven, twelve days out, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, and guys are missing practice for whatever reason. Is it fair to say that we're likely not to see those guys? Greg mentioned Stanton Truett. We we've got Hatton. Spain, the tall, he may be back. And anybody else that's been out for an extended period of time in preseason camp, I mean, can they work their way back in in the next few days of practice to be ready for Cal, do you think? Um, I think Spain's the only guy that could really break into the, the first team. Um, and we don't know the, you know the true extent of his injury. But, you know, he's a leader on the line and a guy you would hope that could come in and and then and just jump in and take that left tackle role from Charlie Heck, and, and then you'll have Charlie Heck and William Sweet kind of rotating in at right tackle. Um, but, yeah, Stan Truitt, I mean, we haven't said his name the whole preseason camp, and Tommy Hatton, who knows where he is. 
So I think you got I me. Mean, I don't think there's too many injuries that I think there's the, the people coming back. You know, Cole Holcomb was back in action today. So I think Jordan Brown and Michael Carter have been limited in the contact they can receive, but they're pretty much healthy. will be good to go unless something else happens. So I don't think the injuries are as bad as, you know, it, it could be, knock on wood. But uh, I think Spain is the, the crucial guy that, you know, they need back, and he is, a, you know, giant for their success. To kind of piggyback off what Greg said about the wide receivers, I do think there's guys there. I think there's guys who can make plays. They have plenty of wide receivers and, you know, highly recruited guys. You know, you, you haven't seen Thomas Jackson's name on the depth chart, and he made plays last year. He scored touchdowns. He got key third downs. He's definitely going to be a player, even though we haven't seen him in the two deep, maybe the last couple scoops. You know, we've seen Daz Newsom's name. We've seen Bo Krause's name. Gunnar Brewer's definitely not scared to play a freshman. Anthony Ratniff-Williams has made some plays, um, a physical specimen there who can be athletic and, and go across the middle and make some catches there. So, of course, Prol. So there's definitely some guys there, and I think there shouldn't be as much fear at wide receiver as there is at running back. I think there's definitely some depth at receiver compared to just so much, so much of a lack of inexperience at running back and just you know one injury away from being a very depleted group there. Greg, let's talk about the offensive line. Or, or You mentioned Spain. I think Spain will be back. Uh, whether or not he is remains to be seen, but Ross, you talked about maybe – Heck, Polino, Dillard, Cohen, Sweet as your starting OL at this point. My money says Dillard's the only one there that's solid, 100% starter. What's your take? Yeah, I think Polino's going to be the starter there at left guard. Um, I think Heck and Sweet are both going to play at tackle, whether that be both starting at left and right tackle without Spain or kind of rotating in time at right tackle. Um, I think you have three good tackles that coach cap feels feels pretty confident about heading in even though heck hasn't really played any meaningful minutes and, and it's funny he never played tackle in high school he was recruited kind of as a big tight end that was going to grow into a tackle spot so his if he starts against cow I mean, that'd be the first time in his life he has played meaningful minutes at the tackle position but i mean he looks apart interviewed him today he's a legit six seven huge guy and it's supposed to be more athletic than his brother john heck but yeah cam diller definitely at center the interesting spot is right guard i mean does jared cone come in as a walk-on the the guy who started some games as a freshman 2014 does, does he come in and win that job and you know play a huge role for a team that really needed him to step up without tommy hatton and some other questions on the line so that's that's interesting to watch there too but you're looking at dillard you're looking at nick polino uh heck and sweet and then uh, a right guard Maybe competition there between Cohen, maybe Khalil Rogers, maybe Prince too. We saw Prince at tackle on Monday. You know he could move in as well and then provide some depth there. He's a guy who can play both tackle and guard. So I think when they get Spain back, it'll be a pretty good group once they continue to build that chemistry. And I think the key there is Dillard. I mean, I talked to Polino and Heck on Monday, and they were super high on how he's just been a huge leader jumping in learning the playbook, expanding his knowledge of the playbook, and just being a very positive, uh, impactful influence for a young group that needs that chemistry and needs that leadership. Fascinating how you don't have to be there for three or four or even five years. If you're just a leader, you can come in and be one. Dillard's done that. I think it's helped. And, Greg, let me ask you this before we talk a little bit about defense. As you keep referencing Marcus McKeithen, and we've talked about <laughs> him off the line. I mean, red shirt or not? I think he's got a red shirt for just practical purposes, but could this kid 
mountain of a kid get on the field this year? Uh, I think it would take injuries for that to happen, Tommy. Um, I think you know with the depth that they have it along the line, I think they will most likely redshirt him. He is raw, man. He he is a horse. He doesn't look like a eighteen, nineteen year old kid. However old he is. And as I mentioned in the, the scoop, I mean, I was just watching. I was like, man, who's that kid out there just kind of moving gracefully? And you said, now, wait a minute. That's the big guy. And he's listed at 330. Cap said he's closer to 345, 350. And there's, you know, there's so many offensive linemen that you see come in, and they're just big lumbering dudes. You, know, you can feel the earth shake as they're running. And then you got guys like Jonathan Cooper who just, skates across the, the field. Like I mean, it's not a surprise that he was a high draft pick. Just as graceful as Cooper was. Now, I'm not saying McKeithen's you know, Cooper, but I'm saying he's he's got that kind of movement. And so I do think they'll they'll redshirt him. And that's the kind of guy you you know, ten years ago, he was probably having to play freshman year because they didn't have the depth. But I think the fact that if when Spain comes back, provided he comes back soon, You've got a good three-man rotation with him, Heck, and Sweet. And then Ville's there, too. Ville's starting to become a veteran because he's been around a couple years now. So you've got enough options there. If there is an injury to pop up, you don't have to pull the, the red shirt off of McKeithen. But the fact that you've got some talented options that are young, even when Spain leaves, you got to feel pretty good about the, the future at, at tackle for North Carolina. While we're talking about McKeithen, I mean, I'll, I'll give a little tidbit here. I was... He came to a camp, you know, the summer before he committed, and they got him up from Barnwell, South Carolina, a tiny, tiny town in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. And he came up for one camp and lined up. He was a little bit late. He was like 30 minutes late, kind of missed the warm-ups, missed the, you know, the, the warm-up 40s. He, he got up there and just, was, you know, super athletic. You could tell he had, a, he had a pretty good broad, standing broad jump. He ran a pretty good 40. And it was just, you know, obviously the biggest guy at this camp of just a lot of, like, you know, freshmen and sophomores in high school. And uh, Coach Cap and Fedora offered him at the camp, and he committed like three days later. And a super quiet kid, but just yeah, he had the athleticism they want, and he had that size already as a junior in high school. And so it was a kind of crazy story, kind of seeing that offer come, and then commitment happen like two or three days later. Uh, it just amazes me how big these kids can get these days. I covered high school football game. Friday night, and there was a kid on Northwood that's like six eight three ten, uh, and yeah. it's ridiculous. But and, and baby faced, so that was pretty funny. McKeithen, I think, is going to be a good one for Carolina down the road. Let's do a little. Give me one thing that we've missed and hadn't talked about. And need to, but let's do defense. Since Greg, I think you remember back whenever Fedora came on to Carolina, we talked about it on this podcast that one thing we never have to worry about with Larry Fedora's offensive production. Well, this year it seems like the one thing we hadn't talked about much at all is the defense because we're assuming they're going to be pretty good. What's your thought for the defense today for this podcast? Maybe would you see it open practice or the media portion on Monday that needs discussing? Let's phrase it like this, Tommy. I think the defense, we know the parties involved, right? We know all the players for the most part. We know what they can bring to the table, so we know what to expect. Now, in terms of how good they're going to be, I think that's yet to be determined. Uh, but we kind of know what to expect and uh, how they're going to line up and those types of things. Yeah, the one thing I would say is we, we saw a lot in spring ball 
MJ Stewart primarily playing at the corner. I think the thought was that with Des Lawrence being gone, you needed a lockdown option on the on the outside, even when you went to the nickel. Because, of course, last year we saw Stewart a lot at the nickelback position. And I think in the spring they were thinking, without Des there, we need somebody on the perimeter that we can trust, and then you can bring somebody else inside. Well, they started that early in training camp, and they have gotten away from that. Because what we have seen uh, the last couple of practices and what we've been told kind of behind the scenes is that MJ Stewart has gone back to that nickelback position. They like him there. And I think the fact that you've got some guys at cornerback that are kind of showing out, you know, Patrice Renee has played well. KJ Sells has stepped up. Trey Shaw has got plenty of potential as a, as a true freshman. And then, of course, Corey Bell, who's been getting a lot of hype here the last week or two. So the fact that you've got really a, a two deep there of cornerbacks that can play on the edge and allow MJ to use his size and strength and, and skill set, whether it be against the run or against you know, A-backs that are, that are so fast, you know, slot receivers, I think that's a good thing for the defense. That means that they're maybe not as concerned on the edge as they were in spring ball. Uh, and having a guy like Stewart step in and really serve as a, as a third linebacker, if need be, in those situations is important for the defense. Good stuff. Ross, your take on that? Yeah, I would just be worried that Corey Bell gets taken advantage of on the outside by a big receiver. We've talked about that he's 5'8". He looks like he is the smallest guy in the defensive backfield. So you throw a big receiver like someone who's a, a Bug Howard size or Matt Collins size against a 5'8 Corey Bell, and you know you don't want to see that kind of matchup. I think you know my kind of one thing would be we saw them work on forced fumbles all about 10 minutes at the beginning of camp being in practice today. And I think you're going to see a lot more turnovers this season. Obviously, you only had one interception, but I think there's going to be a huge focus on that. And I think there's a, a little pride factor there with some of the defensive backs of getting more interceptions, the, the linebackers and defensive um, tackles be more active and forcing fumbles um, and clearly more of an aggressive take, which could lead, lead to more interceptions and fumbles there. So I think that's just one thing that, pride-wise and, and scheme-wise, that there'll be more turnovers this season than last season, which the offense will need. It's going to help the offense put them in better situations to score and not to go as far down the field to, to put in for six. One of the more amazing stats to me is yeah. as good as their secondary was last year, they had one interception. That's mind-blowing. Greg, what's the rest of the week hold and the rest of preseason or the preseason for North Carolina as they prepare for Cal? And, and Tell us about media availability and when we can get some more scoop. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Tuesday is first day of classes. So while the players are off uh, getting their learn on, the coaches will be in the film room studying up for Cal, getting the game plan ready. And then the team, of course, comes back on Wednesday. Uh, they've been practicing in the morning all throughout training camp from about 945 to about noon. That will change on Wednesday with classes. And so practices will start being in the afternoon, evening. Uh, and so they'll get a couple practices then. I, I know they're practicing Wednesday and Thursday. We have media availability on Thursday. I believe they practice again on Friday. And then I assume that they will have their mock game, uh, which there are some scrimmage elements involved on Saturday. And then you start game week, right? The, the players come in uh, for some conditioning work on Sunday kind of get some of that lactic acid out if there's any remaining. Monday's a day off. That's, of course, press conference for Larry Fedora, which he loves. And then <laughs> game week practices. You got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, hard practices. Friday's a walkthrough. 
And then that next day is the season opener. So we we are right here upon it. I know we're we're all excited about it. We actually get to see some some live action so we can base them some solid opinions on. It's fun in the offseason with all the uh, conjecture and speculation and and those types of things. But to be able to see the team actually play a game uh, will make things a lot easier for, for most of us. Good stuff, guys. You're right. Players get tired of beating on each other. We get tired of talking to each other about our opinions. We'll have some facts to talk about soon enough. Ross, Greg, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.